years down the road have been successful. My life is completely different, but I owe that to my kids who got me out of that depression. Everything. And so I will continue to do whatever I can to take care of them. Hey folks, welcome back to Patriot to the Core podcast. I'm Thad Forrester, and I really, really thank you for listening to me again this week. And by the way, happy fall, everybody. I love this time of year. And before we get into our guest, I want to read a review that was left on iTunes a while back. Uh, this happens to be a five-star review, and they say... It's so refreshing to hear stories from genuine people that love and serve their country. Listening to these accounts is a powerful reminder of what principle and people our liberties and freedoms are built upon. So anyway, thank you for leaving that by below underscore BB. And I'll continue to share reviews on here, uh, whether they're good or bad. I'll I'll share them as long as I don't get, I guess, too many bad ones. Uh, But now let's get on to uh, Noah Galloway. Uh, He doesn't need much of an introduction. But if you have watched Dancing with the Stars, you saw him finish third place in season 20. You may have seen him propose to his girlfriend at the time on there, and she said yes. Uh, They are not together now, but anyway, that's just kind of a memorable moment. One of the memorable moments from the season. You may have seen him on Fox's American Grit, where his team won season one. Uh, what really got him going was being on the cover of Men's Health magazine in 2014. And he was also named Men's, Men's Health's uh, uh, Male of the Year, or uh, Ultimate Male, I'm sorry, in that same year. So he's involved in all kinds of things now, and he's a motivational speaker. He travels the, the globe speaking and also the world doing all types of events. And But he's a devoted father, and I think that's you'll see that's, that's really his priority. We have a good, good chat. We actually met in person at Sheepdog Firearms in Trustville, Alabama. And uh, speaking of Sheepdog, uh, they are they are great folks there. They're big supporters of Patriots of the Core and also of uh, the Mark Forster Foundation. So thank you very much, Sheepdog, for your support. Uh, but Noah and I had a great time, and uh, you can read all about him in the show notes at thadforrester.com forward slash Noah-Galloway, and you can find out how to follow him and learn more about him. And more importantly, learn about why he joined the Army in 2001. He, he didn't even go back to class. So it happened, you know, September 11th, and he just went He went and joined the Army. I think his official uh, date was uh, in October. So he just didn't go back and ended up owing the University of Alabama at Birmingham some money and, and uh, got that squared away years down the road. I think that was kind of recently. So he felt inspired to serve, and he... He paid a price. I mean, he, he lost his left arm above the elbow and his left leg above the knee. And so you'll you'll enjoy hearing this guy speak and talk about overcoming so many obstacles. Noah Galloway, great to have you here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we are here at uh, Sheepdog Farms. Appreciate their their yeah. uh, sponsorship, their support, I guess I should say, not necessarily sponsorship, but big supporters of of uh, Patriot Tool Corps podcast. So. And they're new. They're new. That's why when we came in, they were saying it was three months. Yeah, I've been open three months in Trustful, yeah. Alabama. So uh, we're. I'm, this is my second interview I've done here. You're going to be here all the time now. You're just going to be working here. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. But no, man, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, I heard you just got back from Africa. Yes. So yes. Uh, anything good to share from that? First? It was, you know, I went, me and my sister, I have three sisters. And just like with my kids, I try to do something with each one of them. And uh, my older sister I took to New York, and we had a good time. My other sister, she wanted, I 
introduced her to Tim McGraw and Faith Hill because I'm friends with the family. And, uh, and then it, the trip to Africa came up, and I took my sister Sarah, which was kind of, it's a little unfair to the other sisters, but um, we had a great time just for her and I to go. And we went to Botswana, Zimbabwe, Cape Town. It was a great trip. We got to see some amazing things. So you, uh, was it safari? Yeah, did a safari in Botswana. In Zimbabwe, we are at uh, Victorian Falls and rafted down Zimbizi River. Had to avoid hippos. I mean, it was, it was really intense, I mean, to do that. Hippos are dangerous. Yeah. She, yeah and they'll yeah. go into water and you know where they're coming up. So a couple of times the guides got really nervous. Um, but they usually know where they're staying. So What they, kind of boats are you in? They were just two-man uh, rafts that were aired up. Oh. Yeah, and then like one of the guides uh, told me and my sister that one of the guides would ride with me and one with her because I mean, I got one arm. But then I'm paddling, and my sister said the guy that was with me was just kind of sitting back, and I'm just <laughs> just going along. Uh, so I think he was surprised at how much power I had with the one arm. <laughs> well, you're used to carrying the weight. Well, he's trying to show off. Yeah. <laughs> any other any close encounters with sharks or lions or uh, um, what elephants? was what was so we were able in the vehicles the animals are so used to the vehicles that we could pull right up next to the lions and see just how they act. Now we were outside of the vehicles looking at some elephants, and then they come walking by us, and the guide Habusa Mamakupi, he told us to just stand still, don't move, and you could see the. With elephants, the female is in charge, and the old female walked between. Like she made sure to stay between us and the baby elephants, and just watched us as they mm-hmm. walked by. We stood real still, and I mean, kept their eye on us as they walked by. Were your heart beating? It was awesome. Yes. I mean, to be that close, and then wondering if they're going to charge or if we're going to do something to make them angry because they're incredible creatures, but they are huge mm-hmm. yep. and protective of their young. Yeah, that, I can imagine. I'd be, my heart would be pounding. Yeah. I've already ridden them at the circus, but a whole different, different thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Anything else from the trip that's. You know, there was just sharing? so much that happened that was cool. I mean, we got to see so many, you know. Well, I think what I've told everybody, it was cool to see the lions, cheetahs, you know, all these different animals in the wild. To see a hyena, I've said Lion King did not portray them as well mm-hmm. as they should. These are huge animals. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 160 to maybe 200 pounds. And you'd be in the camp talking and then just turn the flashlight a few feet away, one's walking by. They're just waiting. They're scavengers. They're waiting for food to be left out. And they are massive beasts. So I was impressed with those. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know they were that big. I knew they had to be bigger than they looked. We'd only see one by itself. Um, They said a group of them could run out some lions, like enough of them, Mm because they are powerful. But they usually are on their own, and they're just, you know, if the wild dogs get a kill, they'll come in and try to steal it. And so it's just a little bit of that. Awesome trip. I would love to do that. Yeah. Um, So I'd like to maybe compare what what is your life like now versus even just like five years ago? Because I was probably introduced to you five or six years ago online. It drastically different, but... Not only, I think people assume that it's more out of control than it actually is. Uh, yeah, more people know me. Um, if I, I travel all the time, I can be in any state and someone's going to know me. 
you know, I'm not Tom Hanks or anything, but if they've watched Dancing with the Stars or, you know, seen me on Men's Health or anything like that, like there are people who know me who are all over the country. It's interesting to have that, but it's been a gradual thing for me. Like when I, after my injury and I decided to get back into fitness, well then people in fitness started following me. Then I started running those races and Tough Mudders and Spartan races, Well, then it built more people knew who mm-hmm. I was. It got to where when I went to the races, people knew me. They wanted to take a picture with me. They wanted to meet me. And then, you know. I think they liked the kilt. Did you wear a kilt yep, sometimes? Yep, I'd wear the kilt when I did the race. So, yeah, it was like anything to just, it, it was unique. I, you know, one time I was telling a friend of mine, I just wanted to stand out. He's like, you're missing an arm and a leg. Like, well, how much more do you need? Right. Um, but, yeah, that was just another thing that I did. And so it was just, I, it just kept growing and growing. Of course, the biggest thing I did was Dancing with the Stars. And that's when more people heard my story. Mm-hmm. So it was a gradual climb for me and my kids. I think that if Dancing with the Stars would have happened one year earlier, it may have been too much for me and the kids. But it was gradual enough that it was easy for us to ease into it. Um, I stay grounded. I, you know, I think people thought I was going to move out to L.A. or something like that. No, my kids are my priority in everything. So I would not leave Alabama. Um, I am home a lot, but I, I'm in and out of town, in and out of town, whether it's speeches or I'm going to film something or whatever it is, but my kids are my priority. And I've turned down some big things because it didn't fit into my kids' world. I always tell people, two things I always ask myself, what lesson is this teaching my kids and how is it going to affect their lives? And that's how I make my decisions in everything. And I think because of that, when I have people say, what is it like to be a celebrity? I'm like, I'm not a celebrity. I don't feel like people treat me like a celebrity. I think that I'm just a regular guy that served in the military, was injured, and have, I've come out the other side and made it a positive, and people can relate to that, even if they haven't been in the military, mm-hmm. even if they haven't been injured. And I think there's a lot of people just excited to see what, I, what I'm doing next, you know, those that follow me on social oh, yeah. media. So I, I'm not a celebrity. I just, my life has been affected. A negative thing, could have been a negative thing that mm-hmm. happened to me, but I've made it a positive. And I think that's what people relate to. And so it does draw attention. Um, and I love that. It keeps me motivated. Yeah. When I meet people randomly that say that I motivated them to get in a better shape or whatever it was, or just see things differently, I'm like, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I want to dig into that in a second but right. didn't you uh because you go back to your kids for a minute you uh it's not not nice to point i'll, I'll try <laughs> to do that um didn't you have you turned down like survivor or some other things because yeah. you're gonna be away from your kids too long yeah survive i mean when they called i was excited about it but it was one phone call you know x amount of weeks no contact back home i said no i turned down another show when dancing with stars called and they said they put me in a house in la i told them no and I said, I can't leave Alabama. That's too much time. They said, not a problem. Your dancer will come to Birmingham and rehearse there every week and fly back and forth for the live show. And that's what we did. Uh, and I didn't know how big a show that was. So they kept it quiet that we were rehearsing in Birmingham because there were people who were diehard fans that hmm. would come looking you know, to see my dance partner, Sharna, yeah, or just to see yeah. what we were doing. Um, so they had to work around my schedule, and they did because... I told him my kids are more important than uh, being on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love it. I, I'm, I like attention. I always have. I was, I've always been loud, and my, I have three sisters that are just like me. We like attention, <laughs> but you also have to have your priorities. 
Yep, and yep. that's my kids. Well, hey, I, I watched watched on Dancing with the Stars. I, I started watching that because of Julianne Huff. She's yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, definitely watched you on there, and uh, you, you did awesome. I, I knew first week you were gonna you were gonna go far. I wow. mean, because the crowd loved you. It was. I mean, people were so supportive. Yeah. When I was on there, people that were reaching out to me each week. I mean, more and more people were reaching out to me. Uh, I tell people all the time that I was told when I got there that everyone on that show is like a family. And that's exactly how it is. Like, I, you know, will randomly text Dina Katz, executive producer, just to check in with her. She'll text me, Sharna, my dance partner. Mm-hmm. If I'm in town during the show, I'll drop by. I'll say, the camera guy, whoever it is, everyone is like a family. And that's yeah. what I loved about the show. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome you were on there. I mean, you third? Yeah. Third place. I thought it was second, but I found it was, it was yeah, third. Yeah, third. So. You know, it, the fact that I came in, I tell people all the time, I was like, forget the fact I missed arm or leg. I can't even dance. Mm-hmm. I came in third on a dancing show. I'm pretty happy with that. I think it was your, I think it was your abs. You know, I, I always tell people, I was like, you know, I wasn't a good dancer. I was the best looking shirtless. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's go back. Uh, that was a joke. You know, I don't want anybody to hear it. Like, well, this guy's cocky. No way. No, we got you. I think everybody knows. Right? Um, yeah, so you were in college. 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, you... I'd like you just to explain that a little bit. I mean, you, you felt impressed to join the, the Army. Why the Army? And when did you, did you join in, like, January after September 11? And how did that all play, play out? So I didn't have class that morning, so I slept in. I got a phone call from a friend of mine that said, turn the TV on. And I remember, you know, it was that one uh, tower burning. And the news anchors were talking about pilot error, this and that. And then you saw that second plane hit. And that's when everything changed. Then you had, you know, the plane go down in the Pentagon. You had the one go down in Pennsylvania. Uh, it was obvious that we were under attack. And I remember I just quit watching after a while. I went for a run. And on that run, I decided that I needed to join the military. Because I was, I was 20 years old. I was physically fit. And I loved my country. So I wanted to be part of whatever was going to happen. And I immediately went to the recruiter, started setting things up. So my official date in the military, in the Army, was October 2nd. So you just withdrew from school, from yeah. college? Wow. Well, I didn't even That's withdraw. Amazing. I just didn't show up again. <laughs> I just recently got that fixed. <laughs> yeah, I still owed them some money. Uh, but UAB yeah. said, never mind. Wow. They, uh, I owed them some money uh, for my classes, and um, they, they dropped it. Uh, which was nice of them. I mean, yeah, I wasn't trying yeah. to. Someone else was like, hey, let me make a phone call. And they're like, yeah, they're not worried mm-hmm. about it, which was cool of them to do that. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, I, so I, I went to the Marines first, um, and they couldn't guarantee. I wanted to be infantry. I have an uncle that was in Vietnam, a paratrooper, and he always told me if I went in, he said, you go airborne, you go infantry, so you're right up front. Well, they couldn't guarantee it. You go through basic training, they could put you wherever. Well, I told the Army I wanted airborne, I wanted infantry, and they were like, come on. And, of course, then going into basic training, I mean, you meet people who they've dreamed of being in the military their entire life. They know everything. I'm, I was clueless. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I want to go to war. And guys were saying, oh, they don't need the infantry anymore. Everything's electronic. This And I was like, dang, I was enjoying the wrong thing. Uh, but no, that was completely wrong. You need the infantry. You have to have boots on the ground. And that's what we did. Being in the invasion of Iraq in 03, I fell in love with the military, and that was it. I was going to do it. I was either going to die in combat or retire an old man. 
So how many deployments did you have? I only did two. My second deployment, I was injured on. And to wake up, when I was hit, I woke up five to six days later in the hospital unaware of what had happened. Were you at Walter Reed? Were you still yeah, I was at Walter Reed. I woke up briefly in Germany uh -huh. and then woke up at Walter Reed, and that's when it started being told what, kind of, what happened to me. And it was a lot to take in. I mean, but I think what really hurt me the most emotionally and mentally was I honestly was prepared to either die in combat or deploy over and over again until I retired. I was not prepared for the in-between. I never expected to wake up in a hospital injured to the point that I could not be in the military anymore. They offered for me to stay in, but I, I knew I couldn't be in the infantry anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'm not staying. I, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be out there. I wanted to be up front. And so I, I struggled with that for a long time. And I think it took me, once I realized there were other ways that I could move on and do new things in my life, and one being that I am connecting with people now, uh, once I realized that, that's when I was able to get over that hump and start doing other things. But what, what was it like while you were deployed? Was, were there a lot of I It was an IED. Yeah. Hit oh, we, hit them. Oh, we, were, we lost a lot of guys on that second deployment. So it wasn't a lot of injuries. Uh, our numbers were off. You were having, we were having more deaths than we were injuries. It was just a bad area that we were in, and we lived out with the locals, not in a camp. And so it was... So you real, couldn't... Could you trust anybody around you besides your own? No. That's what I figured. No. I mean, you're trying to work with them, you know, mm -hmm. and that's one thing that I've, you know, explained to people here. I was like, what's really tough is we got troops over there. You're trying to win over the locals, you mm -hmm. know, and you don't know who's bad, who's good, but you're trying to sell them, hey, we're here <coughs> to help. But then when we leave, well, these bad guys are showing up saying, no, we're going to help you. Don't listen to them. And then we got things on our news that make it look like we don't care. Yeah. You know, and that's what they're going to show them, which we know that what you see on TV isn't everyone's opinion, you know. We could see something that's going on in another country, and we know enough to say, well, that's not, not all of them feel that way. But to someone who is in the middle of nowhere in Iraq that doesn't, or Afghanistan that doesn't know the difference, they could be shown a clip and think, well, we don't care. And so then it's hard for the troops that are trying to win them over to do that. Because it is a lot of a mind game that you're trying to win people the hearts and minds of everyone in the area. So it becomes very difficult to do. Yeah, I would think that uh, one of my brother's teammates had a, one of their Afghan nationals mm -hmm. that just one day decided to turn on him. Yeah. All of a sudden turned and killed him. Yeah. Killed him and I think another guy. Now, now he was killed instantly, mm -hmm. but I mean that could have happened any, any moment. I'm sure mm -hmm. y'all... We're we aware had, of that. yeah, we lost two of our guys that I was really close to because of uh, someone trying to portray themselves as something else, and was able to get two well done two shots off before he was taken out. Um, which he shot, he did really. Well. I mean, to take two shots on two different people and, and be able to take them out, but he was blown away instantly. Yeah, um, there is that risk all the time. You know, you're, one, you're trying to win them over. Then there's the mindset that you're dealing with where you're losing your friends and you're trying to, you still got to go into this house yeah. and try to win them over. But at the same time, you're thinking, are you just like everyone else that has been doing this to us? So, I mean, it, 
It, it, it's really hard to do. Uh, and, you know, it can weigh on a person's mind. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like it was kind of a calling of yours to Once I got in, people? yes. Um, and I always tell people, I, I, I was not this amazing soldier. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, it's incredible. No, I, I just liked it, and mm-hmm. I had accepted things. And I was very physical. And that, I think, was always a – that got me out of a lot of trouble in the military because they were like, well, he's an idiot, but he's in great shape. You know? <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, but I did. I felt like this is where I need to be. Uh, and after I was injured, um, it just it ate me up um, to not be over there with the guys. Uh, I remember I went to Afghanistan after my injury to go and speak to the troops. And one of the first outposts we went to was the 101st. And then it was, I was like, oh, it's my battalion. Oh, it's my company. Now, of course, these are new guys I never met yeah. years later. But it was the company I was in, and I got to meet them, and then they were going on patrol, and I stood there as they left to go on patrol, and it was so sad. I mean, it, well, after that trip, like, I mean, I, was, I didn't want to leave the house for a couple of days. It just kind of put me in this little depression, a funk, and I had to pull myself back out of it and move on. But I'm, oh, I miss it all the time. Is that something that I have no clue on this, but is that something you talk to people about, maybe, or maybe even kids, is... Find your mission or one yeah. of your missions in life. You know, I do. Like with the kids, I've always been big on saying, you know, I don't expect you to be the best, but give your best. You know, and that can be in anything. You know, I may not be the best at something, but give your best, and and then find what it is you enjoy. Um, I've got one son that, I mean, every sport he plays, he dominates. He just has this this focus, you know, and can do things. It's just in his blood. Then I've got this other son that. It's very crafty, you know, give an instrument, he can figure it out. Uh, and then him, like, we, we go bowling a lot. And this kid can spin the ball and d- do things that, I'm like, well, you want to bowl? And we, I've got him his own bowling ball. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, you, I mean, you know how it is. You got kids, as they get, you're, you're trying to find. You don't want to force anything on them. Yeah. But you're hoping they find something so you can start. My youngest, I didn't know what I was on find for her. Um, and suddenly she tried dance, and the instructor was like, she's got it. And then the first time she had a recital, she is a natural on stage. I'm like, there it is. You need Sharna down here to help I know, out. I know. <laughs> Dang, okay. Well, I'm, I'm interested in your, uh, it's, it's well documented about your depression and the dark mm-hmm. period of, that you were in. I mean, yep. what, and I don't even know if you recognized at the time you were in a, Nope. Period. What, what was that like, and when did you realize that, hey, you got to do something different? Uh, you know, I, I didn't know I was depressed. Um, I was in such bad denial, and I got into the worst shape I'd ever been in. I, I was eating crap. I was smoking cigarettes, drinking beer. I mean, just constantly, you know, not just every so often. No, it was all the time. And I would sleep all day, stay up all night. Uh, would just go out with my buddies and stay out all night. Were you at this point? Were you living alone, or were you nope. married? I was married, and had uh, and then had my other two. So I had three kids, and the other two were really young. And there was, I, I think, one of the things that happened that terrified me was my three kids uh, were sitting on the couch, and I realized that. For my two boys, I was showing them what a man is, and that's what they're going to grow up to be. And to my little girl, I was showing her how a man's supposed to be, and that's what she was on look for one day. 
And that, one, embarrassed me to think of how I was being, and two, showed me that they're going to grow up fast and i got to make a change immediately. And so I started to improve. Uh, but then I would, I tell people all the time, it didn't just happen overnight. I would fall again, fight on my face, but it was thinking of those kids that got me back up and going. So now, yeah, I am years down the road, have been successful, my life is completely different, but I owe that to my kids who got me out of that depression. Everything. And so I will continue to do whatever I can to take care of them. Uh, I had somebody the other day ask me, you know, where do I see myself in five years? And I was like, you know, what I, I hope, I, I mean, I'd love to still be in the public eye doing more, you know, uh, giving speeches, doing television. But if I'm not, that's okay because my goal is to always be doing something to make sure my kids are getting the best they can. Mm-hmm. So whatever I am doing, I'm going to be trying to push to do the best I can at whatever that is. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it as, because we're about to have another kid, and um, there's too many children that are brought into this world without a loving parents or a loving home. And, I mean, at least I can do and my part. It happens more often than you think when you start to pay attention and you see there are a lot of kids that to some would see, like when it comes to, I have a lot, two of my sisters are teachers and kids that some would see as a problem child is a child that is reaching out for help. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I don't want that world for my kids. Yeah. Uh, I don't want it for any kid, you know what I mean? But to devote that time and focus on your children, I think, I tell people all the time, I'm like, if that should be your main focus. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a leader, it starts at home, and it just grows from there. That's right. That's right. I've heard a quote that says, uh, no other success can compensate for failure in the home. Yeah. And I believe that, too. Yeah. What, what about when you were... When you were in that dark period, even though you, you may not have like really knew you were actually depressed, but who, who did you confide in, or did you just even talk about maybe just you were down, had a down day or something? Did you ever talk to anybody about it? I didn't, and I regret that. Uh, I I was constantly in my mind. I was I was showing people that nothing could faze me, uh, that I was a superhero. Ah, I lost arm or leg, no big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and did not want anybody to know that I would, alone, I was upset. You know what I mean? Or I would cry or just get angry. I didn't want anybody to know that. Did not want anyone. Of course, they're talking to people later on, like there were people who did see it. I mean, you can only hide so much. Mm-hmm. But no, in my, and, and what I was doing was I was hurting myself. Because I was trying to portray myself as invincible, and not allowing myself to let my guard down, I was accomplishing nothing. And what I'd always heard, and I truly believe in now, you can bottle something up as much as you want, but it's eventually going to come out. And the anger that I had completely stemmed from me bottling up emotions. And once I was able to let those emotions out and be more comfortable with who I am, opening up freely, talking about issues, well... Now it doesn't come out as anger. You know, I am not, I went through a phase where I was not Noah Galloway. Yeah, because we all, everybody knows you as happy, optimistic Noah. And I was not at all. I was not, uh, you know, when I say I wasn't a good father, I mean, I wasn't mean to the kids, but I wasn't there for them emotionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, So everything had to change. Did, how much of a, a role did your injury 
play in your divorce, or did it play a role at all? No, because um, <clears throat> it was two divorces. Uh, the first divorce, my first wife, we had already talked about splitting up before the injury. So then when I got injured, that's when we okay. parted ways. Uh, I rushed into a second marriage, and it was... Uh, after your injury? After my injury, yep. Okay. And, we, and then her and I had two more kids. And we didn't work. It was not a good place for either. We talked about it not too long ago. We were neither one of us. We, I was going through things. She was going, and it was not a good mixture. And we parted ways, and now we've come out the other side, both better people. And I get along with both of my ex-wives uh, really well. Like I can reach out to them whenever they can reach out to me. Mm -hmm. They need something. Friends with you know their husbands, everything. Uh, which is surprises people. I was getting a haircut the other day, and uh, my oldest son's mom called me, and I was like, hey, yeah, like, I'm going to have Colson this weekend. I want to make sure I get him next weekend. I, I'm going to take him to Nashville. Is that cool? Like, you know, Jack wanted him to go. She goes, yeah, that's cool, you know. And I got off the phone, and the girl cut my hair. She was like, that was your ex-wife? I was like, yeah. She's like, that's not normal. I was like, but that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you, you know? you've got to be in your yeah. lives for a yeah. while. Yep. And there's no need. And I, I've no my first ex-wife, I mean, we met when she was 16, so I've known her for a long time. My second ex-wife, we were boyfriend-girlfriend in sixth grade. I've known her for a long time, so I'm not going to burn a friendship and somebody I know and know their family that yeah. well just because we didn't work out, just because we rushed in, got married, and realized we... I hate that my kids don't live... We, that their parents aren't married. I didn't... You don't want that to happen, but that's the way it is, and you've got to make the best. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to lose my arm and a leg, you know what I mean? But you make the That's best right. of it. And the injury didn't affect the divorce, but my depression and when I was going through it was not a good mixture for what we had going on. And we came out better the other side uh, down the road. Well, how, many, how often would you say that people are in your kind of situation where they, uh, or outwardly, you th they're fine, but how many people a lot. bottle it all up? I think a lot. You know, because of, when I wrote my book, and was completely open and honest about my depression. Oh, I thought people were going to hate me when they read it because I am brutally honest about my mistakes. And people have been so positive in the response, so happy that I was open and honest. And people have reached out to me that have been going through things that they realize that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, mm -hmm. that they can get help, that they can move forward. And I think that we've come a long way with depression, but we still have a long way to go. It is still a little taboo. Uh, people with work, they don't want to admit that they go to a, something for mental health when that should mm -hmm. not be an issue. Should not, no one should be uncomfortable admitting that. Yeah, some aren't going to want to talk about it, but they should not be afraid to go forward and get help. Yeah. Um, I think that what's going to help that are people like myself that are okay being in the public eye, talking openly about it. The fact that Prince Harry, Prince William, are talking openly about the depression they went through with the loss of their mother, I think nothing could be better than that. Because here we, we got two princes that have everything they need yep. saying we went through some depression. Because I think sometimes people think, well, I mean, I lost an arm and a leg, so it's okay if I went through depression. No, anybody can go through it. It could be something that happens in your life. It could be a chemical imbalance within you know in your brain. Whatever it is, it can hit any of us. And... For someone like them to come out, I thought was perfect. I mean, I'm doing my little part, yeah. Uh, but I'm really proud of them for doing it. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's hundreds or thousands of lives that you are have and are touching, you know, because of, you know, because you're out, you're, fortunately, you're out in the public mm-hmm. eye and you've overcome what seems to be just tremendous odds. Um, I'm wondering, like, we both know, I know people right now that are depressed and mm-hmm. struggling and nobody has a clue. I mean, yeah. what, what do you say to those people? What's the best thing they can do, maybe, like, short-term and long-term to, to help deal with that, to get you some know, relief? I, you know, I, I had somebody the other day ask me something about someone who had lost a limb. And I know we're talking about people sometimes not losing a limb, but when they asked me who should, what should they be doing, I was like, you got to find someone that has been there, done that for that person. So if you know somebody that's going through, it may be, you know, whatever it is, it may be work that's causing it, maybe some at the home, they need to find, to meet someone that has been there, done that, has been through those struggles. Because like when I was in the hospital, a doctor could come in and tell me what struggles I was going to have as an amputee. And I'm thinking in my head, you have no idea. You yeah. may have read every book, but you are not, you have not lost a limb. My dad is missing his arm. Anything he told me was gospel because he had been there, done that. And so when it comes to someone, sometimes as a friend, you should point out that if somebody, let, the, let your friend know that it's okay to talk about it. It may be you they need to talk to or tell them, hey, you should go talk to somebody. And hopefully that's enough to get them, hey, a professional. They're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this whole, too many times I've people's, had people say, well, I'm not going to go see some crazy doctor that's going to drug me up, this and that. I'm like, I don't, that's, I don't see where that can happen if you're, just going to talk. You know, they can't force medication on yeah. you. Then you have people that are going to go and keep saying they need more and more and more, and they're doing it to themselves. Um, but there is nothing wrong with sometimes just going to a doctor to talk makes a world of difference. I tell people all the time, giving a speech, meeting people, doing an interview, it helps me to, to yeah. still talk about things. Uh, I can be on stage giving a speech, and I'll think, and I'll bring up something that happened a week earlier. You know what I mean? That I, you know, had struggled with, or whatever it was, or something I, I that helped me. And sharing that—that's how I, I have found a way that helps me. And, and sometimes people just have to find that thing. Yeah, it's amazing how many times people in my life have said, "Hey, that I need some advice." And this is a little different, but kind of along the same lines. And, and they'll tell me whatever it is, mm-hmm. and sometimes they unload for a long time. And most of the time, I don't say anything. Yeah. Just let them talk. And then they've said, thank you so much. Yeah. I didn't do anything. You know, me and my sisters, I have three sisters, we all like to talk. And we <laughs> love to talk about ourselves. <laughs> but we came up with this thing years ago where I could call my sister Jennifer and say, Jennifer, I don't want advice. I want to talk. Okay. You know, and that means I'm going to tell you stuff. That I know you're going to want to give, but I'm not asking for And they can do it to me. Uh-huh. They're not asking for advice for me to say, well, I think you need to do this. No. Sometimes just talking it out, we either figure it out or we know the answer. But we just want to say the things that we want to say yeah. that drive us crazy and get it off our chest. And you're right. Not saying a word. Just listening. Think, hey, and they even say, thank you for talking yeah. to me. Well, I didn't talk. But yeah. You're very well. They just needed somebody just to sit and listen. Yeah. So what about what about your book then? Living with no excuses. Living with no excuses. How? I mean, kind of can you give us a what it's about? Really, I know yeah. there's some pictures well, in there of you growing yeah. up. Yeah. So the book, I mean, more or less, it's my story, uh, a little bit of my childhood, how I went, and how I got in the military, my time in, some experiences I had, how it affected me emotionally, 
I'm, like I said, brutally honest about my depression. It's not all about my depression, but the heart of the book is. The reasoning of the book is when people that have heard my story, they know that I got injured, got into fitness, men's mm-hmm. health, dance with the stars. Well, that's all great, but there's five years missing out of that that are very important to my story. And it's a struggle, and it's real. And when I say that it was hard to write, it terrified me for people to read this book. And now it's been out for a year, and I'm still doing book signings. I'll go somewhere, and the people that work at the publishing company have said, this isn't normal for people to still, you know, the book's still selling like it is, and the paperback just came out. So, like, you know, it has done really well, and I have people that are just, I think through word of mouth, people just keep buying it, and people reach out to me, and they've been happy that I was truthful and and open didn't yeah. hold back yeah we'll we'll promote it here well, with my, you with my like, large yeah. audience <laughs> it, it was like it's been really cool the people that have said that it's they've related to it yeah well I, one thing that i wanted to ask you is you had said i guess when you were kind of getting out of your your depression your mm-hmm. funk you were embarrassed and so you were working out like two in the morning yeah because you, maybe you were trying to figure out how to, how to work out. Yeah, I didn't know how I was going to, and I'd gotten out of shape. I mean, that's that's normal reaction to going into a gym. You're like, crap, I need to show up in shape. Yeah. It's like, no, you got to start there. You know what I mean? And I always told people that. It was actually good for me to have been in a fitness for as long as I had been in fitness to experience that that fear of going back in. You know what I mean? And then overcoming that and getting back into shape. Because it's all starting back over. And with an injury. And figuring out how I was going to work out my right side, how I was going to work out my left uh-huh. side. Uh, and I eventually overcame that, and things improved and got better, and I didn't care what time I worked out. I wanted to work out where people could see me. Yeah, I mean, that's how I was introduced to you was the Team Extreme. Is that what it was called? Yeah, now it's Operation During Warrior. Okay. Uh, we okay. race with a group of veterans, gas masks, I mean, with filters. You're cutting 20% off of your oxygen, so you have to train with it before you go do a race. Yeah. Because it makes breathing difficult. And we would not break seal. You leave the mask on the entire race. Yeah, that's crazy. You were, I mean, you're running like tough mutters yeah. that way, right? Yeah, 12 mile races, uh, obstacles. Uh, we did the Bataan Memorial Death March where we hiked the 26.2 miles in New Mexico up a mountain through the sand with 55 pounds on our back, gas mask. It was brutal. But, was it? Uh, I mean, it, I always tell people the harder the challenge is, the better that finish line feels. I mean, when you're done, you're like, man, I did something. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You are some type of deal with Tough Mudder now. What is that? Well, I've done a lot of things. Like, I've run races with... Tough Mudder, Spartan is their competitor, and I've done all their races. People just know me uh, for Tough Mudder, and I've done a lot of work with them. Uh, They're good people. Um, So I love the opportunity to to talk highly of what they do. They're all about teamwork. Uh, I mean, when you start a race at Tough Mudder, I mean, that's, that's what they're telling you. They're like, hey, if you see someone down, help them up. You know, this is this isn't about you know who can run it the fastest. I mean, if people want to go out there and do that, that's great. But it's like help each other out, mm-hmm. and uh, it's about that teamwork, that camaraderie, and it feels good. That mutter nation, they're proud uh-huh. of. Yeah. How do you do with the electric shock? Um, so what I've learned is, the, if you're stepping in a lot of water, it'll pop you harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've gone through some that uh, I could I could breeze through and just get through it. And there's been some that have put me down 
and I'm trying uh, to get back up and it'll knock you down again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's what I love about the electric shock is it is the last obstacle you go through. And it's really a mental thing. It's not going to hurt. It's not going to, after you you have no residual pain after going through it. Um, but the fact that it's at the end, I love because you think about it the <laughs> entire race. Like, well, then there's that one. Uh -huh. <laughs> so in as many tough butters I've done, that's the one else where you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> have they lowered the ampage? Or I don't know what it is. Like? I don't know if they have or not, um, but it's still a, it's the mental thing that gets you. Yeah, I did it in 2012. In, uh, and it was a really cold day, really cold. It was, well. Which one was, did you do? It was in Georgia. In Atlanta. No, it was uh, near Augusta. Yep. So it was a couple hours past Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close so to South Carolina. So was it when a cold front came down? Yes. Okay, I did the same one because it was the same weekend as Mercedes here in Birmingham. Okay, yeah, because it's February. And the cold yeah. front came through because that morning there were icicles. Yes. And I, I saw them putting ice in the water container. Yep. I was like, what? That was, Is that necessary? I've done tough. I've done one in Vermont on Mount Snow. You know, where you're up and down a mountain. I did it. I wanted to do it all by myself. Didn't want any help on any obstacles, and that was a tough one. But nothing compares to that one mm. because of the cold. It was just brutal. It was. It was. And then you you get jump into a container that has it's a bunch full of ice, ice added and to water. It. Yeah. But the that one had two electric shock spots. Yeah, because you, you had to get one that was underneath. Yeah, you're yep. crawling, water spraying on you. And that was awful for me. And, and I got a picture of me with this just awful face getting shocked. And then at the end, and it put me on my face twice. Yeah. And, I, and I've said, and people have asked me to do another one. I said, no. If, I would rather get hit with a baseball bat in the knees <laughs> than to get shocked like that. That was, yeah. that was the worst thing for me. Yeah, no, so yeah some, like, that's why I said, I've been at some that have put me down. Um, yeah, but that one, uh, usually after, like, while people are running, I mean, they have music playing, everyone's hanging out, eating. That one, nobody was hanging out because it was too cold. They had burn barrels. Me and my friends went to the cars to change the dry clothes, and we had two cars, and we're all in. Then we rolled the windows down, and we're like, y'all want to leave? Yep, and we just left because it was too cold yeah, to hang out. it was. But that was probably, I've said that was the worst stuff motor ever did. Yeah, because it was like a, I was driving back to Tuscaloosa. I guess you were coming to Birmingham. Yeah. It was a long drive. Yep. And mud just caked. Oh yeah, it takes days. You're still finding it right under <laughs> here. And <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. What about uh, this Invictus Games or Invictus? Invictus. So I mean, speaking of Prince Harry, so this is another thing that I am. Prince Harry has impressed me in a lot of ways. One was being open about the depression, but uh, he impressed me years ago. He it started with, you know, the troops over there that have been injured. He was like, we need to have something. Uh, and a lot of them were getting into adaptive sports. Mm -hmm. So he started these competitions. Well, then America got involved. Canada got involved. It's like, all right, we need to have our own teams. So the Invictus Games, you have wheelchair basketball, you have swimming, you have wheelchair rugby, you have all these different events going on. Uh, in a couple of weeks, it's going to be in Toronto, and they're going to have golf, all these different things. And it's basically Europe, U.S., Canada, we're competing. You know what I mean? And it's fun. Yeah, on a team. So it's it's a team, yeah. Okay. You got US the best US wheelchair rugby players are against the best from Canada, uh -huh. the best from Europe. And what I love about it is my favorite part is to Europeans, they're very much aware that people that are injured and play adaptive sports, it's it's legit. They are athletes. 
Paralympics are huge everywhere in the world except for here. Because, I mean, it's, um, the, one of the reasons being is, I mean, you have more amputees in, say, Europe. Because when, like, or somewhere where they have, after World War II, there were more amputees in Europe than there were in America because they were in the fight. Yeah. My prosthetic leg is a German-made because technology follows necessity. It was needed more there. Well, because there's more amputations in other countries, they are very much aware of the Paralympics. Last Paralympics, they, it's two weeks after the Olympics. It's not even, you couldn't even watch it here in the United States. You're trying to catch clips online. You can't, you can't find it. Mm-hmm. Well, the Invictus Games, when it was in, Orla- in Orlando last year, it was covered by ESPN. And I was like, finally, Americans are seeing that wheelchair rugby is an intense sport. I mean, they're slam- slamming into each other. It's brutal, and it's awesome to watch. It's competitive. Hmm. These guys are athletes, and I feel like Americans need to see that someone like myself or someone in a wheelchair, that when we're at, if they're competing, it's not doing it just for fun. It's just like any other athlete. They are training all the time. They're preparing. They're risking you know, injury for their sport. And so because of Prince Harry, that is opening the eyes to a lot of Americans to see what and it's all military, mm-hmm. but to even I've met civilians who compete in wheelchair basketball or wheelchair rugby yeah. here in the states that they have said because of the attention that these injured veterans are getting, and it's now bringing attention to their sport that they've been in for a long time, and now they're getting the recognition that you know is coming around to them. So it is. It's, it's, it's opening a lot of people's eyes to a lot of new sports. What is your role? In that. Well, so I was part of the presidential delegation when they were in Orlando. And when Invictus reached out to me first before the White House did, you know, they were wanting me, they were seeing if I was interested in coming down and being part of it. And I went on and on about how pumped I was about it. And I think they realized, oh, this guy gets what we're doing, you know. Uh, so then it was cool that they want me back uh, in Toronto to be part of it there, to be, I mean, an ambassador. Huh? What they, you know, one of their champions, and I'm honored that they're asking me because at the end of the Invictus Games in Orlando, uh, and they gave out the medals for the wheelchair rugby, and U.S. took the gold, and I was out there, and Team USA called me over. I'm like, me? You know? <laughs> and they wanted me to lead the chant, and these guys were amazing, and just to meet them. And it, it made me feel good. I got to meet some veterans that were injured several years after me that told me they followed my story after their injury to see that there was hope. Uh, I actually had a girl that uh, come walking up to me that was missing her leg. And uh, right there in the middle of the bleachers, she told me about how in the hospital, some of the other veterans would come in her room and they'd watch me on Dancing with the Stars. And then she's telling me she started crying. I started crying. I'm like, well, why are you doing this in public? You know? <laughs> but it was, it meant so much to me. Because you do, you have those moments, and all of us, we're like, Am I, is what I'm doing making yeah. a difference? Yeah. And then you hear that and you're like, okay, I got to keep doing what I'm doing mm-hmm. uh, because it's bigger than me. And it's not for arrogance or just for attention. 
if you can help one person in what you do, if, if one person listens, if you have one listener of your podcast that listens every time you put one out, but they get excited when you do another interview, mm-hmm. well, then you meet that guy. You'll be yeah. like, that's why I'm going to keep doing my podcast. I appreciate that one listener, too. Yeah. <laughs> it may just be your mom. It may be. I know. <laughs> You're right. But, well, and for every person that you know that you help, yeah. there's plenty more in the background that you just it is, don't know that, yeah, it, that you help. It, it, like I've had random people just stop me and tell me stuff, and or they message me, or they send me an email, whatever, or they just post a comment on social media. I see them, and, it, and it's, it's incredible. You know, I just want to, you just want to do right in the world. And we all make mistakes, and you try to do your best, and just to have those, those moments that you're like, okay, I need to keep, keep driving on. Yeah. One more, uh, one more question I want to ask you was, um, if you, what do you, what kind of dad do you think you would be or have been? If, if let's say you, you had your Remember career in the army. Yeah. And, you know, you did your deployment. You I thought home. about it. Well, I'd, I, I hope I'd have caught on, but I'm afraid. If I hadn't have been injured, I had turned in my packet, everything to go special forces. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I was going to be. I don't know. I wanted to try, mm-hmm. uh, but I enjoyed combat so much that when I was in Iraq on that second deployment, that was so bad. And they came to get me. They said, "Galloway, pack your stuff. Stuff you got to go back to the states to go to selection to try out for special forces." I was like, "No, sir. I am not leaving combat for a school." He looked at me like I was crazy. But I loved combat wow. that much. And that's the way I saw things. And if I, I thought of it, if I hadn't been injured, it's possible I never would have connected to the kids the way that I have. Now, I, I said it even in this interview, like, I'd love to have my arm and leg back. I mean it. I would love to wake up tomorrow and have both my arms, both my feet. Uh, I would love to be back in, the, in uniform. But you know what? If I hadn't have been injured... If I hadn't have gone through that depression, I would not be connected to my kids like I am. And because of that, I am thankful for what happened to me. Because I have a relationship with my kids that I do not think I would have otherwise. Yeah, man, appreciate that. Anything else you want to share with us? Oh, I can keep talking. <laughs> I got stories for days. No, but no. Anything you think is important, maybe, that, that the. No, I, I appreciate you having me on and I'm glad we were able to, to work it out because um, I mean so I just I, like I said <clears throat> it, it means a lot that anybody would even want to have me uh, be interviewed and, and talk to them and, and thank you for that yeah, my, it's my pleasure my honor and uh, but what, what's next though I mean I, I thought I've got a lot I mean, yeah, you got to get on Bear Grylls yeah. well I've got a lot of things that are starting like I've learned now with television there's a long like a lot of work that goes into it. All these pieces have to come together. So there's some, some potential for some hosting uh, for some pretty exciting stuff. So, I, you know, there's some big things coming up. I've got a lot of speech that, you know, I got Jen that works with me that keeps me busy. Uh, mm-hmm. She's got me booked out to like February or something, March. I don't know. Uh, you just show up, right? Yeah, <laughs> she tells me what to do. Uh, I pay her to boss me around, and she enjoys that. So <laughs> it works out good. You probably need somebody to. I do. Kind of I, I am. I am. Uh, I, I tell people I have my kids are amazing. Like I have three incredible children, 
And I tell people, I think the reason my kids are so good is part of uh, nature that sometimes in a group, someone has to step up to take control. And I think at some point, my kids had a meeting and said, you know, dad's an idiot. And we got to keep him, you know, we got to make sure that everybody's okay. So they had to step up and be a little more mature than they should have been. They had been. a family counselor without, <laughs> yeah, without, without me. <laughs> like, you know, because one time they were like, you know, Dad, you need a girlfriend. I'm like, no, I don't. We're good. You need a woman. I was like, they're more or less, they're like, there should be someone that takes care of you. you know? And now I'm like, well, I got Jen and her husband. They take care of me. Yeah, there you go. My neighbors feed me. <laughs> that makes the women feel good when they can, when you, when you love their food. You know, yep. if you start like moaning and groaning and, you know, they, it's like, oh yeah, he loves my food. So yeah, my, it's, it's an ongoing joke that, uh, my, my neighbors keep me and my kids fed. Uh, so I don't, we don't have to eat TV dinners. <laughs> Well, man, it's been a pleasure. Oh, uh, thank I really, you. really appreciate it. And also, I mean, you're, you're right, like the perfect example of someone that, that's, for, that's for Patriot to the Core podcast because you, I mean, you're, you are a true patriot. You, you served our country. And all of my guests don't, aren't military, but people who have that servant attitude, and then now you're, you still continue to serve by helping so many other people, and you've overcome just some tremendous obstacles in your life. And so, I mean, really appreciate it. It's, it, is, it is inspiring, and it's cool that, you know, I knew of you anyway before the men's, it was men's health, right? Yeah, men's yeah. health. Before all that, long before, and, and um, I was definitely voted for you. I was just wondering, how could he not make the cover of men's health? So I'm glad that that happened. And so appreciate what you're doing. You're, you keep up the good fight. Thank you. I appreciate that. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did with Noah. Uh, if you uh, want to give him a shout-out, go to uh, his Instagram or his Twitter or his Facebook and let him know you you, you love what he's, he's doing or you listen to our interview. Uh, you can go to the show notes at thadforrester.com forward slash Noah-Galloway, and you can see there at the bottom the a direct link to all of his social media. Or you may want to consider uh, buying his book, uh, Living With No Excuses. I do recommend that. You can get it from his website. You can get it from Amazon or you know anywhere. Uh, also, if you do enjoy what I am doing, I would ask that you just go to Patreon and read my page and see what I'm looking for. Uh, Patreon is an opportunity for people to support creators such as me. And uh, I've got some uh, different... Uh, tiers of support, $2, $5, or $10 a month, and you'll get some different benefits with each, with each, depending on the category that you select. But I have a short little video on there if you can bear listening to me talk in that video, and uh, I've got it all written out to spelled out of what I'm looking for. Mainly, I'm looking to uh, upgrade my equipment and to improve my logo. That is the, the logo is actually the, the priority right now for me. Um, but anyway, that would be patreon.com forward slash patriot to the core. And Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash patriot to the core. I would appreciate it if you just go go check it out and uh, see if you consider helping out the cause. But regardless, I appreciate the listens and the downloads. So thank you for doing that. That's really most important. And I, I really, really appreciate all of the support. Mm-hmm.